Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Timothy Chalamet on his breakout year with Call Me By Your Name, Lady Bird, and Hostiles. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of the podcast. As I said, our guest this week is Timothy Chalamet, who, Sammy, I think Timothy might be our youngest guest yet. I think he's 21. No way. I think so. You doing no, the math? you're wrong. What? Bella Thorne. <laughs> gotcha with Bella. Is Bella younger than, than Timothy? Yes, she what? is not 21. Okay. <laughs> okay, well... The, the young... I'm not positive about okay. that. <laughs> Sure. You said it so authoritatively. I know, and then I'm like, oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> you know, usually, you know, people sometimes bring up, you know, younger actors for me to talk to, and, and I'm hesitant often, um, especially, you know, if they haven't, like, kind of, like, put together enough films for me to talk about with them. But there were a couple factors that made uh, talking to Timothy uh, a no-brainer. Um, a, you know, we've been talking about this great movie, uh, Call Me By Your Name, which is now out. Uh, we, Army Hammer was on the show just last week. Uh, Michael Stuhlbarg's going to be on it very, very on the show very soon. Uh, it's it's a, a beautiful movie that um, oh, that movie alone can can warrant a long conversation. I'm seeing it in three hours. <laughs> we'll come to us then. You're going to yeah. love it. If you don't love it, there's something wrong with you. Well, we'll see. Okay. Well, yeah. well, no, there's something wrong with you. No, I'm going to love it. Um, and love but beyond that, Timothy, uh, as I said, has has quickly. I mean, I don't know if I I don't think I knew who Timothy Chalamet was six months ago, or at least before Sundance when Call Me by Your Name debuted. But um, suddenly he's everywhere. He's in Lady Bird, which is another one of my very favorite movies mm-hmm. of the year. He's in uh, this Christ- Christian Bale movie, Hostiles, which I have yet to see, that I've heard, though I've heard good things. Uh, and then as I started to do like research on, on Timothy, I just I, I, I got really interested in talking to him because he you know he's he's a New Yorker. He's done a lot of theater. Um, he's uh, he's just his performance alone in Call Me by Your Name is already putting him on these like best actor shortlists uh, for for uh, awards consideration. He He's he's been winning awards uh, left and right, um, so he's somebody that like I feel very confident in saying this is not just like a you know a one trick pony that like next year we're going to forget about him. This is the launch of a very exciting career, um, and uh, he was he was great to talk to. You were there, Sammy, in Toronto when we chatted yes, with him, and he- I really and he and Army Hammer had such cool chemistry, and we're so comfortable, yeah. and I loved him. Yeah. And he, guys, he does not have a French accent. He does not, though he speaks fluent French. His dad is French, to clarify. Did you say to him, why don't you, is this how you found out? Because you were like, well, wait a second. He's... No, no, I'd done my research. I knew. Oh, so right, I didn't right. need to get that clarified. Here's a revelation that to, to spoil something coming up in the, in the podcast. Uh-oh. We went to the same grade school. What? <laughs> Didn't Jordan Peele go to that school too? Yes, Jordan Peele. But the difference is that Jordan Peele and I are, are roughly the same age. He's a couple years younger. Um, Timothy. I thought you were going to say Timothy's a couple years younger, oh, no, and no. I was like, mm. no. Timothy and Timothy was very sweet both on the podcast and afterwards. He was like, we, he was trying to like compare teachers with me, and I'm like, no, no, Dude, no, Timothy. Mine no, are no, all no. dead by now, probably. Yeah. Like we're different generations, my friend. But it's very sweet of him to to think that. Um, so yeah, there was a, he. You know, he grew up uh, kind of. Sim- uh, Close to where I grew up, so uh, fun to kind of just talk, uh, bond. You with were not like that. speaking fluent French, though. I took a couple years of French. So did you guys? Do you guys dive into any French in yes. this podcast? Yeah, just so you guys know, this podcast is done entirely <laughs> broken <in> French. <laughs> Bien sûr. Mm-hmm. Really all, good. That, that's all I remember. That's a, a good accent too. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it was beautiful. 
<laughs> so that is uh, this uh, this episode of Happy Sad Confused. Um, Timothy Chalamet. We're rooting for him. We yeah, like him. Yeah, I mean, he's look. He's got tough competition in his category this year. It's Gary Oldman or him. I think is the, are the, the two biggies. And and I, I mean, I adore Gary Oldman. So I'll be happy either way if it ends up being one of those two. Okay, okay. As long as you're going to be okay either way. I'm just really say- okay. I'm just saying that you will you will survive if either one of them win the Oscar. Here's what. Okay, first, if of all, someone else comes in and wins, that's we, it for you. We have we have several months left of Oscar race, so let's not get burnt out already. Okay, things can happen. And B. Uh, Timothy, win or lose, he's the, got a while to go. He's got a while to go, and the career has been launched, and and mm-hmm. and uh, he's you're going to fall in love with him on the screen, and you're going to fall in love with him when you listen to this podcast because uh, he's a charmer. Oh. <laughs> I will fall in love with him, probably. Uh, remember, as always, guys, please review, rate, or subscribe, or do all three on Timothy I- iTunes. Timothy would want you to. Oh, Tim, Timmy Tim definitely he would want does, you to. He, and he asked in French, too. He did. After the podcast, <laughs> like, he said, do review, rate, and subscribe. That was French. That was amazing. Yeah. Yours uh-huh. is slight, only slightly better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, enjoy this conversation with Tim, Timothy Chalamet, and remember to check out um, all three of his movies. Hostiles isn't quite out yet, but Lady Bird is in is in theaters. It is remarkable uh, and beautiful. And Call Me by Your Name, you, you've heard the buzz. It is well warranted. It's a special one. Uh, in the meanwhile, here's this chat with Timothy. Good to see you, buddy. Thanks for having me, and uh, good to see you after meeting you in Toronto for the first time. Toronto was our first meeting. Um, You know, I think I've I've said it at least a couple times to you, I'm in love with this movie, as you've heard from many others, Um, and I'm talking to all your friends. I just had Army on last week. Stuhlbarg's coming in tomorrow. Oh, I didn't know that. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm a little intimidated by Stuhlbarg. Stuhlbarg, okay, I had the same experience. I was extremely intimidated by him, and we did a couple rehearsals that left me feeling all the more intimidated, and I'd seen him in a play called The Pillow Man in New York when I was 12 by Martin mcdonough that was again all the more intimidating yeah and then i went on youtube and it's like the curse of being an actor or something these days but all you have to do is type someone's name in followed by epk right and then everyone's humanized yeah and he's also it seems like yeah i've been watching some interviews with him he seems like the most soft-spoken sweetest guy that's what is that's what's so destabilizing is because he has played some really intense uh not in call me by your name he plays like the best father on the planet but yeah, in other films, he's really intense or plays. I just watched a, a Serious Man this morning just because it had been a while. And he's it, so and incredible in that to watch movie. that movie again. And people say that's like the Coen Brothers film that is, you know, the most parallel to what their existence would sure. have been. Growing, growing, growing up, exactly what their father would have been. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So, a lot to talk about with you, despite uh, you being perhaps the youngest guest on Happy Sad Confused thus far. I didn't know that. Is that true? I think so. I think if not, you're, you're certainly in the top three. Great. So, uh, congrats on that distinction. <laughs> but you, Thank you. But you've been making up for uh, the lack of years you've made up for in a lot of work, particularly in this last year that you should be very proud of. Thank you. Appreciate it. I, I've, seen, I've seen two of the three films. Lady Bird I'm in love with as well, of love course. Love that movie. Uh, and I'm seeing Hostiles this week. So, we'll Also love that movie. Yeah. So, what a uh, weird trifecta, right? <laughs> Tonally, they none of them fit in with each other. And hostiles seems like the the hostiles is the definite (laughs) outlier. I mean, I guess there are, you know, it's two coming of age stories that. Right. Uh, period. Both period. Both period. Yes. Yes. And hostiles is period too, but it's very much not a coming of age unless Christian Bale is 
coming of age in it, but he's not. I've seen it, and it's not a coming of age story. By the way, it pains me to no end that I'm calling both uh, Lady Bird and Call Me By Your Name period films, since I, I, unlike you, have grown up through both of those periods. No, well, Lady Bird I, w- I would have grown up through, and certainly, okay. like, I guess I've, I would have only been five or six years old, but I have distinct memories of Backstreet Boys, you know, CD covers, or... You know, Britney Spears. What, what would it have been? Yeah, one yeah, of her that, first albums. Yeah. I mean, we. I went to Tower Records with my mom and my sister on 65th Street when I was like seven or six years old. Yeah. And my sister was getting a Britney Spears album. And I went. I went for Get Rich or Die Trying. And my sister, I remember, like chastised my mom because there was the explicit. There was sure. the explicit warning on it, but <laughs> I uh, missed that I tower. Was, I uh, I grew up on the Upper West Side. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Where'd I, you go to elementary school? I went to uh, PS87. That's where I went. I went to PS87. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding at all. What? No, amazing. <laughs> so, who did you have for kindergarten? Who did I have for kindergarten? She's probably like dead by now. You're well, I'm like <laughs> decades older than you. Um, I don't even remember her last name. My God, you're putting me on the spot. Wait, where did you go to junior high? <laughs> Wait, let's go through the teachers. Okay. Let's go to the teachers. Well, none of the teachers are still there. Are you kidding okay, Miss Davis. I had for kindergarten. Did you have? Miss Davis, Emily no, Davis. Are you kidding? Why are we comparing? You're 20 years younger than me. Okay, You're fair. Make me fair. so sad. No, okay, all right. <laughs> Junior high, which is middle school, not yes, to age yeah. you, but no, uh, would have been Delta. Okay. Which is in the Booker T. Washington building on the Upper West Side, and that was a miserable, Wait, miserable exactly? three years. Um, That's not the one because I went across the street. I don't know what it's called now. IS44 at the time. But no, no, no. That's 70. That's no. That's oh no no. Oh yeah yeah. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. IS44 is the middle school that's across the street from PS87. Yep. There's also computer school yes. around there. Oh, is yeah. that where you went? No, but no. It, it, when, I, when I went to middle school, junior high, whatever we want to call it, uh, they had just split it up into like the computer school, and there were a couple other like kind of sub-schools part of IS44. Right, because in New York City, they're always doing that. They're always taking these big buildings that were like made in the 20s or 30s, right. and they stick four different programs with fancy names in them, like you know, yeah, school yeah. or whatever, you know, some specific thing. Um, when would you go to high school? I went to Stuyvesant for a year. You went to Stuyvesant? Okay. But then they kicked me out. We're on a podcast. Out. I'm not going to crack a bunch of jokes. No, but, no they, uh, they kicked me out because I, I never went to school. Oh, you got kicked out. I got kicked out because I, I'm the, the saddest ne'er-do-well ever. I spent my freshman year, I didn't smoke, drink, do anything bad. I just didn't go to class. Mm-hmm. So they kicked me out, and my parents had, had to fork over uh, big bucks and send me to Dalton for three years. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I have great friends that went to Dalton. Yeah. And, uh, but Stuy- yeah, wow, getting kicked out of Stuyvesant, that's like the New York City equivalent of Zuckerberg like dropping out of Harvard or something. <laughs> Stuyvesant is a yeah, smarty pants school, but clearly I couldn't cut it. Stuyvesant's uh, so- like, for those listening that don't know it, is the best school in New York that is incredibly hard to get into. <laughs> so, so I didn't realize we had this many parallels. This is yes. cool. So where did you grow up in, this, in the city? Which I grew up in Hell's Kitchen on 43rd and 9th. Okay, nice. Mm-hmm. And your parents are still here in town? My or? parents are still here, yeah. Um, and uh, a little bit back and forth with France. Got it. Okay, so talk to me a little bit, because I'm, I'm a New York City snob, but it sure. ends up coming up a lot sure. in conversations here. Do you feel like, I mean, we're all obviously defined by where we grew up. How do you feel like New York defines you? I uh, love that question, because I take an inordinate amount of, like, baseless pride in the <laughs> fact that I'm from New York. <laughs> Nothing you had control over, but you're going to take No, you're just it. from it. But, but, <laughs> but, but as it relates to the identity thing, that's really a huge part of acting for me or the ability for myself not necessarily for audiences because that's their distinction to make and their report card to fill out but it's always helped me like a real sense of ambiguity personally about where I'm from and you know my mom's from New York my grandparents are from the Bronx my great-grandparents on my mom's side Russian immigrants, Jewish, that were kind of fleeing, not kind of, were fleeing uh, persecution and on my dad's side were French you know Protestants, um, not from like Paris, France, but like from, you know, Saint-Étienne or Le Chambon-sur-Lignon or, you know, these are 
um, also beautiful areas, but it's not the you know Parisian uh, landscape that that is Americanized. Yes, yes, exactly. And and so, like I said, it there's. I want to say there's a feeling of envy when I see people that really know themselves, but there really isn't. Like, I, I love this feeling of I have no clue who I am. And what's thrilling is thrilling or maybe destabilizing or ultimately not a great thing, but that, like, I'm kind of figuring out while doing these sure. films. And already, like, I did a movie called Miss Stevens when I was 19. And already it's so, tri- it's, you know, it's interesting for me to go back and watch that. And I see a version of myself that isn't false but just isn't who i am today sure well so. you're, you're in particular like uh, you, know, you know not to like make you put you in a place in terms of your age but you're in, at this 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 period of time where you're evolving <laughs> probably at a, at a rapid no, rate it's the career, i watch call just... me by your name and i'm like oh man i look so young <laughs> <laughs> yes i've aged significantly the stress the stress of show business <laughs> at a young age well it's and it's also obviously um been a, a surreal, bizarre year, to say the least. Oh, yeah. Um, that, I guess, probably kicked off with Sundance with Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's so... Yeah, it's been... It's been... It's so weird. It, it, this is the stuff you dream about. And and I say that not in contrast with the experiences, because the experience has been absolutely awesome. Yeah. And yet, it's, it is totally weird. And particularly with Sundance, because as a young actor, like, I did a TV show called Homeland, and then the idea was... That I, I maybe could have done some television shows around that, but it, but the idea is like, okay, I'm going to swing for the fences. And the way you do that is to, you know, you know, do independent films with directors that are already established or look to be, you know, exciting. And really like the, the email, uh, you know, pattern almost is like, you know this will go to Sundance or this will be a big thing at Sundance. And I was a part of a number of projects that even some that were developed at the Sundance lab too, in fact, that, that weren't at Sundance. So it becomes a Holy grail of sorts. And it was, and the tremendous irony is the, is the, uh, you know, commonality tone they try to infuse with that festival. And then it's just like, ah, we're all just here. And it's just a normal experience. And we're all wearing plaid shirts. (laughs) And yet like there are deals being made for, you know, absurd amounts of money. So, yeah, it's been a weird year. Well, and also the fact that this one in particular, Call Me By Your Name, has been years in the making, not only by you, but by filmmakers James Ivory, et cetera, have all been trying to kind of like figure out how to get this off the ground with different permutations of cast, right. et cetera. And you were attached to it for what, three or four years? Yeah, when I was 17. And it, but in that way, and it also helped the production of it and the making of it, and so that I didn't audition for someone a week before I started and had the feeling, okay, I have to match the audition, but rather... I had known Luca for four years before we started shooting. I hung out with James Ivory a week upstate in New York, and we went through his films. Like, there was such a preparation in this. And then there was the Europeanisms to this character that I had not addressed in performance before. All the European parts of myself I associated with, not like repression, but certainly not the outgoingness that is fed as a young person growing up in New York or at a middle school where it is very academic and the only outlet for any sort of attention is to make the biggest fool of yourself as possible. Uh, and, and so to be acting in French even was, yeah. was so weird cause it felt like worlds colliding and there wasn't like a, the, these ideas or the identity of this character and how I relate to it still hasn't, you know, metamorphosized if that's a word in my head. And it's really in watching it that, there's the strongest identity to the thing. Yeah. It must also be like a, 
it's a double-edged sword when you're like attached to a project that early on where like, you know, you can accumulate all this experience and you, your understanding of the character and the project can evolve at the same time in the back of your head. You're like, this could still fall, fall apart. Maybe I'm going to get too old. Maybe they're going to recap, you know, maybe a filmmaker is going to come and go. That yeah, happens like, all the or time. Or like James Ivory was supposed to direct right. it and Luca was producing it. And James, I knew wanted me to be Elio in it. And then it came time for Luca to direct it. And then, and then there wasn't really a conversation around it, and I, I just kind of stayed the lead. But it was actually in a Q&A the other day. I think – I forget what the question was that set it up, but Luca alluded to someone bringing up the fact that I was cast as Elio when he was made director right. and the idea being floated to him, and he confirmed it. And he went, okay, this is a cool idea. But it was <laughs> it was floated to him. There was the moment where he could have been like, no, I'm yeah, going to open like, this up. You know, I mean it's not out of the question. When a, a filmmaker comes on board as a director, they want to present their wholly unique vision and to inherit another person's actor. Um, and Luca certainly signed – Luca cast me. In fact, I met with him before I met with – uh, James Ivory. And he was developing. He was like with, producer, he was kind of, kind exactly. Co-directed or something. There were different permutations. I think at that point right? he was developing it, or I think he might have already been co-directing it. But certainly, like he gave me the stamp of approval, right. even even first. Like I said, I, I might think, but you know, when it came time to actually doing it, yeah, he had, there was a second conversation, second thought process. Were there were there other actors that you met with or, or talked to besides Army? Because I remember like Shia was mentioned. I don't know if he was that was for that part or what. Did you get a chance to kind of mix it up with other other actors along the way? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we yes, exactly. We we did uh, a number of rehearsals with Shia, who was and is like one of my favorite actors, and it's just he so comes inspiring. Up on this and, a lot because I'm 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 a I go way back with Shia, and I'm I'm a huge admirer of his. Cause I think he gets misunderstood a lot. He's just so passionate about what he does. Yeah, and not in a masochistic or romanticizing way. Yeah. That's part of the appeal as a performer as an actor i can't even really tell i mean because when you when i watched infomaniac or american honey that mystery and that and that and that and that uh, mystery is like not even almost good enough a word but that's all i can get to right now is just it's so tangible on screen it's a rawness where it's like wait is this is this happening like is it like there's right. like a tangible like danger to his performances right. that is, is palpable right yeah it jumps off the screen so what was his take on the character much different than army's that would have been a much well, we film. didn't. You know, the truth is, I, I wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't even be able to give you a succinct answer on that because it never progressed beyond a stage where, we, if we were reading scenes together, we were our heads were in the page, like right. we didn't know our lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is fair because yeah, it was like a year, a year away from being made or something. But um, no, it's like you said, it's like in all his films, there's a certain rawness and he had just worked with Gary Oldman right. on a film so he was kind of bringing that ethos uh in the you know I th- we, we just had one meeting one rehearsal it was Got all a day um but uh but that really stuck with me too in such a way that I even feel hesitant sometimes where I'm like I don't want to beat myself up as an actor because you don't give yourself you don't give your talent credit if you think uh you know I need to be in pain right have you, is that something you thought about? Because I've, I've had that conversation with a lot of actors where it's like, whether it's just accumulating life experience, that's one thing. But also there is this notion that's, that some actors have had and it comes into various points in their career where they're like, I have to suffer for my art. I well, that's exactly it. And this is, this is independent of Shia. Now. Sure. These are just thoughts I've had myself. But if that's exactly how you put it, where there's this – and pressure is the exact word. And so that – you know, Saoirse said to me once, you know, male actors lose their mind at 24 years old. Don't lose your mind. And I hated that because I'm like, man, now I'm just waiting for three years. No, <laughs> Ticking time no, bomb. I didn't hate it at all. Actually, I deeply appreciate it. Any advice so she gives me. But, but no, I – and this is something I talk about and think about a lot. And certainly 
like, uh, I, 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 in my short experience, I feel like I've already worked with people that can fall prey to that ethos. And it's very much a thing where people that found success early as it relates to things that weren't infused with dramatic prestige then feel like, okay, how can I, um, they still have something to prove to themselves and to the rest of the world. But beyond that, like, I think there's, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's like the idea that it it can't be fun or something. And the idea isn't to have fun, but they're not, not, and, and you do yourself a disservice. Like the idea that you, you know, scowl your way through a scene that could have been humorous right. in the name of like Marlon Brando or something. Right. Uh, doesn't make his, doesn't, isn't productive. And I just worked with Steve Carell in a movie for three months that took more out of me. Here I am being mescistic, but like really took more out of me than any project I've ever been a part of. Right. And that was like a three month shoot and that dealt with drug addiction and, and, and just to see how he works and how he so doesn't fall prey to the idea that, it's everything or nothing and that he has a family and, and, and like, it's no joke. You know, I I really wasn't doing these podcasts before. Nobody really cared about what I have to say. Now that I am in this, uh, at least tangentially or a little bit more public, you know, you look at the roadmap for young male actors, even the ones that sort of made it piece together and it's not great. So, uh, I'm even finding like there's so many nights now, whether it's, I don't know, like after parties of sorts or, or even if there are no organized things, there's just like alcohol everywhere. And, and you just got to be careful because, uh, this is, this is slippery slope. Yeah, it's this a is slippery, the, and, slippery slope. And, and this is the time where you want to exactly. And you feel like you're doing well. And also, you know, my generation and this is why I felt so important to be making a movie like Beautiful Boy. And I don't know what the luck of the universe was that after auditioning for bigger projects for years, two things came my way that are smaller and are important stories to tell yeah. with really without a degree of pretension. I, I really feel and like in, and, and as I was you know talking about alcohol, like there's such for my, you know, my age, particularly with opiates and pills and things like that. But in the music and the culture, I was talking about this, the other day, I was talking about Post Malone with uh, with a director I'd work with. His name's Elijah Bynum. He directed a movie album called Hot Summer Nights. And we were talking about hip-hop a little bit, and he was saying, you know, it went from a, a culture of celebrating distribution to celebration of use, which I hadn't... That's, that's his thought, so that's not my thought, in case that's wrong. No, sure, but, sure, yeah. And I hadn't thought about it in that way before. And, and you know, I wasn't... Yeah, I don't know. You see, like... I feel like I just escaped a pop culture influx that is way more, maybe it's the fact that Trump's president or something, but is way more like balls to the wall in such a way that there were groups like Nirvana and obviously in the 60s there were a lot of people that, you know, in the 27 Club. But I feel like now it's, I don't know, maybe it's creepier, maybe it's because it's contemporary, but there's a, there's a pressure that is stifling around this stuff that... Yeah that is also cynical and masochistic in a way that earlier generations, I don't think we're so negative about everything all the time. Yeah. 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 So I don't know what we're talking about. No, now, no, no, it's good. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm curious. Cause like it's one, one thing that I sense from you and, it, and it's indicative of like the, the, the work that you've done early on in your career is that you have a lot of focus. It would seem mm-hmm. as an actor and like, mm-hmm. and I don't associate focus with teenagers. You're not mm-hmm. a teenager anymore, but you were working throughout your teens. Right. Was, 
acting sort of just like a way, like a, a, a kind of a lucky place to kind of channel your focus at the time, you think? Did you kind of like need acting to kind of keep you on the straight and narrow or, or like what did, what did acting fulfill in you early on? You think? Hmm. Well, it's changed and there was a significant change in that I was already working in I, my senior year of high school, which was a drama high school. So that was where I learned and really spent a lot of time at it. I was doing Homeland. So there was this weird dual approach to acting uh, where I'd be on a set where, where, you drop everything, including even character research, and you think, okay, how does this become presentable as storytelling? Right. And then you go back to a classroom where you're still learning, and right. and and where creating a scene isn't a collaboration with the director, but you're you know being told what to do, and directors aren't paying attention to the way scenes play out, but just the truth of the moment. And then when I got, you know, that was the tension for me because I went to Columbia for a year. When I graduated, all of a sudden it was like. It was really, it was, you know, it was the red door, blue door thing, two paths presented themselves where it was like, okay, are you going to take this seriously? Or like three paths. Take this totally seriously and commit yourself to it fully. Right. Kind of commit to it, but be at Columbia at the same time or just go to school and drop it, which was never really a path anyway. Right. And the, being in school thing at the same time, which a lot of actors have done, not again, like I want to be so careful never to be pretentious or anything, but like it just seemed not like the right approach to me. And I really got scared where I made a joke in an earlier, in an interview earlier today where like I, you get beaten in a good way, you get beaten down at LaGuardia to wear your heart on your sleeve. And right. the way a lot of people talk about calling by your name is that it's, you know, emotionally, you've, you've, not in an emotive sense, but you just, you know what's going on with the characters. And I joke like that's, because it was bred in me almost. And the idea of getting a sense of comfort around academia and not in a prejudiced way, but like there's a certain elitism and influx of money at a place like Columbia that just scared the shit out of me. Cause I thought like, dear God, I want to become boring. And, um, and, uh, so then acting became not what was like therapy in high school in a, in a way of not a cheesy way, but like, finding yourself as a person, but also the idea that you're, you know, acting in front of girls you have crushes on sometimes, just things like that. Yeah. Uh, then it was like, okay, I gotta take this, I gotta take this seriously. And then left school when Interstellar, when Interstellar came out thinking like, okay, I got this, I got this. And like, and then not never in a way, you know, and it would be insulting for me to be like, ah, the struggle, sure. but, but in a way where I was like, uh Oh, this, uh, I don't know. And then I did a film called Miss Stevens that dramatically has about as much integrity as every, anything I've done. And, and, uh, and it's been really interesting, like what it means to me acting. It sometimes I almost feel like it's an honorable way to, to channel a need to, a need to be. Um, and there's also the feeling that I couldn't not, which maybe isn't a good reason to do something, but the idea of like, even <laughs> with more graciousness now, certainly I'm trying to like get better at it, but because things are going well now, but right. like, and you see billboards of things that you've auditioned for or whatever. And you're like, man, <laughs> you know, uh, but it's, it also, so, it's so funny because yeah, as you well know, like you can only steer your career so far. Like yeah, I've talked to so many actors with decades, more experience even right. than you. And you know, for many of them, it was just taking the, the job that was available. Right. And you know, for you, like, Look, there's obviously a tremendous amount of talent involved. There's also a degree of luck involved that, like, these kinds of films are the films that you're immediately now known for, where, like, you know, somehow you've missed or or didn't get or didn't want the, you know, the the YA thing or the teen sex comedy thing or the CW show. Like, and some of these things can be okay. They're fine. But they're just – it sounds like they're not even, like – 
close to necessarily what you wanted. And no, like, no. In fact, there, like the the idea was always because I was up for some of those other projects, uh, but the idea was like, okay, you do something like that, and then because of the way the laws govern this business, like then you're more visible, and right. then you can finance an independent film or whatever in such a way that I have an actor friend who's tremendously talented that I've known for you know a couple of years now and is you know one of these uh I want to say like masochistic but like really takes his work extremely seriously mm-hmm. and in, in a way that is very inspiring and he never wanted to play the publicity game and I saw him in a movie a couple months ago that he was so good in but it like kind of tore me up to watch it because it, it just it felt like in a vacuum or something. Yeah. And that's why it's important for me to go on something like this and why I'm so thrilled that it's like, call me by your name. That's the introduction right. in such a way that maybe some of these bigger budget things would be like a r- real dissemination of my image or, or, or something. And, and, and then to not, you know, not to be like too picky or something, but there are other like in there, there indies of this nature that are also like introductions that are so self-serious right. in such a way that, if I may say so myself, I don't think anybody goes to call me by her name, even though it deals a lot with like philosophy and all that. But I don't think exactly the way I just put it, philosophy and all that, you know, I don't, think, <laughs> I don't feel like people are getting, you know, preached at and lectured. Yeah. You don't go out the, you know, you know, the movie, the credits don't roll and people look around to see like how, no. how they're supposed to gauge no, it's it. It's an emotional response right. as much as it is which intellectual. Is why, which yeah. is why like we'll get asked sometimes about the reception or things down the line. And the real truth of an answer is, look, we didn't make this thing for a bubble like this is something that people viscerally react to yeah. and that's and, and that's the thing that is like stunning to me like you said before like i don't know how it's not some of these bigger projects that i was up for but rather it's i almost feel like i circumvented it or something and uh and then we'll see i know who, who goes from here maybe it's all downhill from here but uh you know maybe this interview will be a totem of my youth i'll listen <laughs> I'll back on remember when with, it all went wrong with a, with no. a glass of whiskey and, <laughs> no, and a cigarette and, uh, and I'll, I'll be yelling at a vision of my imagination that's not in the room <laughs> give me another drink no okay <laughs> i used to have this podcast i, I was on a podcast with josh once <laughs> who's a new guy so it, it is interesting though i mean it, correct me if i'm wrong like talking about these paths that mm-hmm that you didn't go down you were up for spider-man it sounds like you were you were in the the running you were one of the finalists um at the time was that something that you were passionate about or was it something like i mean you obviously don't say no to an opportunity like well that. i was totally torn up because this was that year that i was you know i was i was out of columbia i wasn't really working I, I, you know, 19 is a weird, any age is a weird age, but that's like the epitome of not quite a kid, not quite a <laughs> adult. And I was torn up because my, you know, that's what there was to think about in such a way that I was, I was always fearing that not fearing, but I thought, man, if I get this, how could I say no to it? Right. And with the idea that I had looked at a lot of Andrew Garfield interviews and I don't think Toby Maguire ever spoke about it publicly this way, but Andrew really takes his work very seriously. And I saw him in Death of a Salesman when I was 15 with Philip Seymour Hoffman. And this is not interview podcast hyper, hyperbole. Like yeah, yeah. that changed me. His performance in that, and I've never said that, you know, anyway, nobody cares about these things anyway, no, no. Or, or whatever. Yeah. But I've never said that. And I've been hesitant to say it because I, now I've, I've even seen him in a couple things. So, and I've yet to go up to him because I just want to pick the moment where like, where I'm randomly feeling like you're confident or something <laughs> as opposed to like going over there shaking. But, and, and, 
And yet, he, I, that wasn't that didn't feel like a big warning. Like I always had the feeling like because it felt like a lottery or something. And those things really are like sure. there's so, so many, many people factors, so many involved people. in the yeah. process. Mm-hmm. There's so many people up for it. So, but certainly now, and not as and not as an uh, indication of how it was me because I saw Spider-Man: Homecoming. In fact, I watched and I thought, "Yep, good on them," because that he's the right guy for it. Right. And yet, if that was the kind of thing now, I really don't, I, I, that would not, you know, I feel a certain pressure and it's a gift that I look at like Heath Ledger or, or Andrew or Shia or, um, or whoever, and that there were these like requisites in their youth of like YA hoops to jump through yes. or something. And that somehow there's a gift right now. Like I said that, look, it's just this project and it's presumptuous to think there'll be anything more, but you know, no, you, you, you jumped a couple steps. You didn't have to go through like, you know, Shia will, I mean, all the people you mentioned are, would be very open about it. I've talked to Shia about transformers mm-hmm. a lot and, and Andrew, as much as he loved Spider-Man, I think he has conflicting feelings about right. how that, that, and it's actually interesting to talk to Shia about transformers, which I have, by the way, this is funny. Like that day we had, with uh, um, where I did meet with Shy, and yeah. you know, he was the one I was like, let's read this thing, you know, let's go for it. And that's funny because I'd never read for Luca or, or, or James. Talk about auditioning, talk about not having an audition, and all of a sudden being like, okay, here's an actor that just from a really beautiful, artistic, purity level just wants to read it. Yeah. Who can go from project to project, and I really can't yet. And I was thinking, oh man, this doesn't go well. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, that was during that period, and he said, dude, you cannot do that film, you know. He said, what I, he said, he says, what I would have done, yeah, not to do Transformers. And yet I watched, you know, after that day, I watched some shy interviews where he said, you know, he, he would talk about like Michael Bay, like an, like an auteur of right, sorts, right. which he really is he kind is. of. I mean, he's a genius in his own way. And there's yeah. some story yeah. about a film school where it wasn't like PTA. It was like some amazing filmmaker and they all had a short film class and everybody put together the, like these, you know, clever, uh, dialogue heavy short films. And Michael Bay slapped a camera on the back of his Chevy and just like drove around town and then edited, edited did it together like the most awesome car sequence in the world. I'm seeing Kathleen Kennedy on that poster to Back to the Future right there. Yeah. It's a big producer name. So I was with Luca the other night at one of these whatever war things and and uh, Michael Barker who's the head of Sony Fisher Classics and they say, you know, Timothy, meet Kathleen Kennedy. She's a producer and this is genuine. I just don't, you know, I don't know yeah. anything. So I said, you know, what, what's, what's no. the phone? <laughs> I said, what phone <laughs> what are you? To? What are you working on? Well, I said, you know, what's the phone you're here with? And she, she was kind of stunned, and she said, uh, Star Wars? And, you know, I, like, if I, could have, if I could have drowned in my shoes and started to swim, that would have been exactly what happened. I think I made up for it. I think I made up for it. And there's always, like, the good thing of, even if it's feigned, of, like, yeah, you, I don't know. You probably earned some cool points with her, actually. Oh, yeah. she doesn't need, or, he doesn't need me. Or she Maybe went, I need him. Or, or, yeah, exactly. Or she went home and took out that list and X'd my name no, off no. it. She but, sketched you as a Jedi Knight in her notebook. <laughs> <laughs> so, so saying that, because... I mean, yeah, as, as you were saying, like, the choices that you've made and the opportunities that have come allow you now to get some really cool opportunities. You, you worked with Carell recently. You mm-hmm. just worked on the Woody Allen film. Mm-hmm. So where are you at now in reconciling the, the kind of that other path? Like, do you I mean, do you have interest in those kinds of films in the Star Wars and the superhero things at all? Or are you content well, to kind of work? No, that's a great question, because because. I do like the the scariest thought for me, particularly as it relates to like period pieces, is the idea that nobody's going to see them, yeah. and I I really can't stand even at a level of like podcasts or as a listener to podcasts or when I watch late night shows or when I watch interviews, and particularly when you watch movies, what's worse than being bad is being boring, and I cannot stand that, and and 
oh man, I wish I, I, I want to reference something, but I won't. But like, <laughs> there, like, especially as it relates to like independent films or like things that are artistic, if it's boring, that kills me. Right. And I really don't want to be acting in a vacuum. Right. And if this election really illuminated anything, it's that, you know, unfortunately the most the really, entertaining candidate, even if they have horrible ideas. No, and I, <laughs> and I don't even mean it like that. I mean it. Yeah. That's actually it speaks directly what I'm talking about, but rather what I'm talking about is that I don't want to act in a bubble. And, and as it relates to like choosing projects going forward, there's like, I feel a great tension where, there are a lot, there's like the act there's like the personal acting path that you, you know not that anybody would care but for me as it relates to what it is for me like i, I want to challenge myself sure. and there are ways to be a parts of projects that are experimental and not quote unquote boring but uh, you know a little more not as attuned to the viewer that are gr- that have great integrity acting wise and yet with call me by your name now like we, we talk about this visceral feeling right. you, and i don't want to get 12 steps ahead of myself but like beautiful boy is a movie about addiction and young people dealing with addiction in such a way that there have been movies made about drug addiction but not the or, or to my knowledge not the alanon experience not the experience of being a relative or a parent of someone who's going through addiction and so that i've had that experience and a lot of people my age have had that experience so between that and call me by your name which is a movie that, as it relates to the, you know, uh, queer canon, as I've heard other people talk about it, it's great because it celebrates sexuality in such a way where there isn't a repressant and right. uh, 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 AIDS or a, a gang of violent antagonizers. Right. So that feels important and new. So when I when I look at those two stories and how fresh and tonally, like, visceral they are or something. Yeah. And then, like I said, with Beautiful Boy, I'm getting ahead of myself. Because maybe people will see that and be no, like, but if it feels ah, right, this is no good. <laughs> but so then I feel like a responsibility to, like, okay, man, you know, hunker down, you know, go out for cheap meals because maybe you shouldn't work for a while. So mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Are, are, there, are you a cinephile? Like, have you become one? I mean, are you... Here's the thing. Like, people rag on me sometimes because I don't have the cinephiliac which is not a different word <laughs> that's a weird word uh you know encyclopedic knowledge that a lot of people will have but you know without like airing thing people things people don't want to know i asked christian bale when i was working with him how many movies he watched a year and the answer was not uh voluminous <laughs> so if, if it's good enough for bale yeah and yeah, yeah exactly like Aaron Eckhart, i interviewed him once he's like had a, he's, i think he said to me he hadn't seen a movie period in like a decade not one of his own movies like a movie <laughs> a, a, oh no like, way what? are you serious wow wow he didn't see that might be the extreme don't go that, that's far, the extreme no they? no and the no the truth is i watch movies all the time and uh it, here's not a cheesy way again it, it can be hard particularly when i'm shooting something i never watch anything when i'm shooting something i'll watch documentaries or i'll watch cartoons because it's just very intimidating and and you don't want to replicate things people are doing so what's inspiring to me these like Old films especially, it feels preachy again sometimes. And, you know, you know I don't want to be one – I don't want to like – I don't want to be one of these – this is the tension with acting. It's like I don't want to act in a vacuum. And the gift of being a part of those bigger projects is you really are like disseminated to a younger audience. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't – like I did a play in New York called Prodigal Son for three and a half months that John Patrick Shanley wrote and directed. It was about a – kid from the Bronx goes to Catholic school and feels like unheard and unseen and unaccepted. And it was like the most amazing experience of my life. It's right before I did call me by her name. I like came of age as an actor on stage before I was able to go out and do this film. 
and a lot of people saw it and it was like super satisfying, but the majority of the audiences were like, you were older audiences. Right. And like, you're talking about something that was hugely successful that John Patrick Shanley, an amazing playwright. And at the end of the day, even something like that, what? 50,000 people may have seen it, and most of them were probably 55 and older. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, maybe the theater wouldn't survive with that consumer of course, audience. That's literally. a beautiful and thing yet, in its own way. But and yet, maybe just because by way of how expensive the tickets were or whatever, right. or because young people, they're not exposed to this stuff as much. I do not want, like, I don't want to, uh, anyway, I, I, I never want to be like, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to do these interesting projects and, you know, uh, uh, be a recluse and not right. know what a meme is or whatever, you know, like. No, it's a push and a pull. I mean, and you, you, I mean uh, you, you summed it up well. I mean, like at the end, especially something on Call Me By Your Name where like you are like feeding off that drug right now of like a film that, you know, is touching audiences in such a profound way right. in each and every screening. And it's right. like you probably want more of that. <laughs> like that's something that's. But again, that's why, okay, it feels like naive or optimistic or to think like, okay, I'm going to try to do things like that. But, but, uh, th- there's the idea that you can do things that are fresh all the time. I would hope, or, and yeah. certainly when I look at like a guy like Xavier Dolan mm-hmm. is super inspiring to me because beyond any sense of autonomy, he really is pushing the envelope right. and a movie like mommy mm-hmm. visually is unlike anything or at least I've ever seen, or when you watch something like Enter the Void, or uh, or James White, which is the movie not a ton of people saw, right, but right. that's like probably that's maybe my favorite movie now, or one of my favorites. So, uh, and so there's this idea of being able to push a boundary in such a way that I don't know, maybe it's because I'm like here now and I sense it. But when I when I think that Greta Gerwig and the Safdie brothers were roommates in New York, and I didn't know that. Is that tr- that's crazy, that is true, and that <laughs> and that Greta made Lady Bird. Which is this incredible movie that is so specific tonally and is and is very much an independent film and yet avoids like all the tropes of indie films right. or or you think they're about to dive into them and they skirt them. Right. And then Josh Safdie made this crazy movie called Good, Good Time, Time. So great. after this crazy movie called Heaven Knows What, and that they were roommates and that there was like a flowering there, and I feel like okay. And then with Xavier or. Who else? And maybe this is like too self-prophesizing, but I feel like, okay, here's an opportunity to be making movies that aren't on huge budgets, but are like made by... Yeah, they're making it on their own terms. It's authentic to them. It might not be this... There's very little in common beyond them being unique to the filmmaker and them fulfilling their own... And like labors of love in such a way that... In such a way that I... That that what a gift for filmmakers past that you can just kind of... Talk about whatever, but I, f- I find it I, not talk about whatever, <laughs> but I find what, whether it's budgetary restrictions or or like a really intense uh, idea from audiences. And it's I guess it goes back to Marlon Brando, who just started acting like real life mm-hmm. and Meryl Streep started working with the Speech Coast in the 70s, where things have to be simultaneously real now and like far from self. That's the thing when people haven't been in show business or acting, even at a young age. Yeah. So I don't know what that is, because I guess the conversation amongst kids was not this in the 30s and 40s. But even for young people now, like 12, 13, 14, when they talk about acting or good performances, it's always like, how real was it and how far from self was it? Right. And to that degree, what am I doing? I'm all over the place. I'm rambling. No, but, good, but, uh, <laughs> but there's a certain... I don't know what's exciting is the idea like push the envelope and don't make it boring. Don't, don't. And what's cool, not cool, devastating because Trump's the president, but I really believe like with the like tone, like the negative drip over everything now and the, and this like cynicism that is so, has so permeated everything. We don't even realize it's there anymore. 
that's why I really do think movies like Lady Bird or Call Me By Your Name or um, or Disaster Artist are getting are being received warmly because they're like they're 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 celebrations. And Call Me By Your Name is still sad, but it's a celebration. And it's right. joyful. And like even some of the meetings I've had recently, like not not recently. This is all a privilege anyway. Like this is all so amazing. But I feel like you're gonna see an aversion towards like. Even even with the little things I've written sometimes, and I'm really no writer, it's too easy to write fuck every other word right. or like or like have such shock value on screen. Again, I'm gonna cut myself off because I could like <laughs> talk about something recently I saw, but like it's too easy that way. Well, and an aversion perhaps to, to artifice too, to, to the glossiness and fakeness. I mean, we hear, you know, obviously the, the word of the, the year is, is fake news. The term of the year is fake news. But like the thing that, that you talk about, I've heard you talk about is authenticity and, and the actors that you've cited and that we've talked about a bunch in this conversation are actors that value kind of just, you know, they, they, they can't stand a fake moment. And, you know, I've talked before about, like, Kristen Stewart's been, a, you know, someone I've, I've known for a while and has been on this podcast a few times. And she's somebody that, like, can't stand BS at all. Like, mm-hmm. she'll cut herself off in the middle of a take if it feels the slightest. Oh, yeah. And you can see that in her acting. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I totally agree. Anyway. So, um, on, the, on the press side of things, I'm fascinated mm-hmm. because, like, this has also been a year where you've probably talked more in, in this in this year of your life than the 20 years prior combined. Right. Um, has it been an adjustment to kind of become like a somewhat of a public figure to, um, to, you know, you just did your first late night talk show the other yeah. day, like all this stuff. Is this something you were talking about, like the, you know, valuing being entertaining and not being boring. Right. Is, it, is it something that you find, like, do you have imposter syndrome where you're like talking and you're like, why the fuck does anybody care what I'm talking about? Or, yeah. A little bit. There's that feeling of like, like Wait I'm the a same second. guy that I was a yeah. year ago. But Why also is the feeling of like, <laughs> if I'm here and I'm winging it, that means everybody yeah, exactly. else is winging <laughs> it. True. So that's a really strange feeling. Uh, you know, it's there was a weird thing with this film where I was I, I had too long to think about the idea that all of a sudden there was going to be a. Uh, you know, like a press run and a public side to these things that were, there wasn't before. Because yeah, you had like a six month gap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sundays, and then you knew there was this love for it and it was going to ramp up. With well, the I mean, you knew, but then you also don't know because right. things go south all the time. And, and I just, I, I have great like mentors and people that say, you know, look, man, expect nothing. Right. And, um, like army, the, the, who has been on this train many a time. Right. So yeah, it's a little, it's like, it's a little, I find it to be destabilizing, not in the like cliched way where people think it's related to ego or you get like an aggrandized sense of self, but rather environments become just unfamiliar. And I find, I find what it is, is like accepting compliments on camera more than anything because, because, because that, that's like dehumanizing. I think people see that and then that's what makes people. I think more than anything, more than like cool clothes or whatever, it's like that is weird because that doesn't happen in real life. People don't get compliments for no reason. So not to the degree that actors and filmmakers and public figures. Do. Well, because there's the Kurt, there's the icebreaker at the beginning of the thing. Yeah. And anyway, so uh, like I said, but I feel like it's a necessary part of the job. And I really am like a pop culture fan. I took an Andy Warhol class last year in school, like. And and certainly would be naive to like want to be like ah, I desire to be a part of this machine now right. because like I said the roadmap, like even just psychologically is not great amongst you know people that you even work with sometimes and yet like 
I'm a Kid Cudi fan, you know, I'm a, I'm a Leonardo DiCaprio fan, you know, Uh, I'm a Kanye fan. Like, I, I, like, I don't, I don't want to be watching interviews. Like, why, why am I trying to bore? Like, boring is not the right thing again because it's, it's less, to, it's more boredom and less to do with wanting to be entertaining because that's also a big trap. So I don't want it to, I don't want people to think that. But I don't like want to play the role of like uh, young actor. But that's what's Too kind cool of exciting for and whatever. It, at, at worse, like not cool enough for school. Like, <laughs> like I'm, um, I'm about, I'm about Shakespeare. Right, right. You know, <laughs> so did did and I, uh, far be it for me to to pry into someone no, no. someone's uh, private life. But you know, you were in a relationship with a pretty public right. person by 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 you know familial relationship at least. Did that help you kind of with perspective on f- this whole fame and publicity thing? At least being kind of tangentially around that a few years back. Yes and no. Yes and no. Yes, because there's the exposure to it, but then no, because the person I was with, the whole family, it's just, it's unlike the, the, the public necessity of, uh, being an entertainer and a musician is way different than what any actor goes through. In fact, if you follow the Philip Seymour Hoffman, Daniel Day Lewis, Christian Bale school of acting, you're really supposed to stay mysterious right. which i'm totally <laughs> so us up with right this podcast, if nothing else <laughs> <laughs> yes um so beautiful boys the next one we're gonna see you in yes, presumably exactly is that gonna do the festival circuit do we know i don't know do you- i think okay. that's i don't know i mean it's totally the feeling i have with calling by your name where i got back from italy and i met with my agents in new york and there was a project we were discussing that maybe i could have done and they were you know they're saying what do you think and i said you know I don't know why, but I really think this thing we did in Italy. This is not the feeling before or during. There right. was no shot call then. There was like the opportunity yeah, to work with Luca. Like, Guys, I think we Guys, just we're it. killing it. We're killing it. <laughs> no, before it was the Luca, James Ivory, Andre Osman, three months in Italy. And then after it was like, and similarly, I don't know. It'll be different because just by way of the subject matter, that's it's heavy, heavy right. stuff in such a way that Call Me By Your Name isn't. So, like... It's not an upper of a film, sure. but but sounds like you're. It, it has. There's a good feeling surrounding at least the experience of making it. That, experience and that's, making that, it was fucking nuts, yeah. and and was surreal and like, and your mind knows you're acting, but when you drop twenty pounds and you're under a rain machine for eight takes and a t-shirt, your your you're, body you're doesn't know it. you're acting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there was a lot of a lot of doctor visits on that movie and a lot of close calls. So crazy. Um. Yeah, I can't fucking wait to see it. And, and lastly, before before I let you go, mm-hmm. one of the fun things about this this strange season is like I, I noticed like you've done at least one of these like kind of actors roundtable things. Which yeah, is, like, that's um, crazy. So yeah, what is that like to kind of like you're surrounded by the Hugh Jackmans? I don't even know who else was on like the roundtable you just did. It's or, like, it's very surreal and like and like I, I don't know. It's I try to find a roadmap for these things. I do not want to be 26 or 31 looking at my peak, you know? And then those round tables, you know, when the conversation comes my way, which is rare, thankfully rare, because I don't, what, the, what do I have to offer amongst like legends? Oh, Denzel like can that. take that one. Yeah, no, Denzel was not there. By the way, if Denzel was there, I don't know if I would have been able to sit there because he's one of the guys I've looked up to the most. So, yeah. Um, yeah, what do you have to say to those things? Nothing. I mean, you, you, and like, I really, because the, the conversation at the round table I did was like, kind of moderator said so what were you guys doing at that age and they all have the or i was working hard or franco says the mcdonald's accent story that i've read in his books <laughs> or uh 
or Gary Oldman said, I was in theater school, or, and Hugh Jackman said that too. So the unsaid uh, thing in the air is like, uh, all right, kid, uh, let's see what you have. <laughs> but then with the winning mixture of sincerity and humor. I'm stealing that from, uh, yeah, I'm stealing that from Kumal who, who said that at a, at a, uh, the Hollywood Film Awards. He got up there and he gave a speech that was so funny. And then he said, "Winning mixture of sincerity and humor," Amazing. which is hilarious. <laughs> well, he's coming in a couple of days too. Is he really? Yeah, you're you're part of it. Uh, uh, that guy uh, is so funny. And like yeah. we did a we did another panel with him that was in the Hamptons. It was Variety does this thing called Ten People to Watch, right. and I and then the, we were, so all the actors are outside this hotel, and I was trying to be deferential and polite, particularly as one of the young people there. And so they were sending people in the cars ahead of us, and then I got in the car, and then you couldn't make this up, like. A dog parade of all dog parades crosses, and then, like, the you know, so, so then all of a sudden I've been made late to this thing. So I get there, I'm all frazzled, I'm manic, I say, Sorry, you know, I'm so sorry. Like, there was a, there was a dog parade, you wouldn't believe it, and they wouldn't let me get in. And then he said, and then Kumal said, He uses that excuse every time. <laughs> and the rest of the panel, like, I'd bring up, I try to like have serious answers, and like, the dog parade guy, right. and he killed me, you know, in a great way. It was very funny. It was very funny. And I was thinking, and afterwards, I, you know, I said, you know, it was an honor as a fan of Silicon Valley to be roasted up there. And then we were at the Hollywood Film Awards, and he got up there to accept an award for the big sick. And I kind of like sat back in my seat, and, and I, don't, I don't feel like anybody else did it, but I, but I was like, okay. This is going to go down. I feel it. And sure enough, Ray Romano gets up there, too. And Kamal goes on this whole bit where he's like, you know, Ray, I saw you weren't sitting at the big sick table. I saw you sitting with Kate Winslet. You know, how is it over there? And then Ray Romano, of all people, gets, like, flush in the face. And I thought, this guy, I think he's going to, I mean, again, who am I to say this? It's been the theme of this interview. But... I think he's going to, like, skyrocket. I think there's going to be a lot more with him. Oh, he's amazing, man. Uh, I, I'm sure you're getting this advice a lot. My one bit of advice that's not mm-hmm. brilliant is just, you know, in, enjoy this time, man. This is, this is as you well know, this is kind of a unique experience with this film in particular mm-hmm. for you. Call me by your name. And, and to get a chance to kind of, like, you know, touch audiences and to mix it up with, like, the best filmmakers and actors on these silly kind of award shows and, and, and mixers. I mean, it has a silly side, but it, it's all, it's, you know. No, it's totally surreal. It's and great, like, man. And, and it's, it's well done. It really it, is. Thank you, man. And, and, I, and, I, and I really am trying to appreciate it. Um, I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot more in the years to come. Congrats again, buddy. And uh, as I said, I'm sure I'll see you a bunch the next uh, couple months on the, on, the, on the circuit. Hopefully. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. 